0: Today we discuss artistry, content, history, motivation, creativity with Jessica of Jessica Silverman Gallery. She's amazing. So obviously thank you for coming, Jessica. It's a pleasure to have you here at the studio. Um, I've been reading a lot about the history of your art life, and I'm interested to learn more about Fluxus art, which Mm. you have a lot of history in. Maybe that's something you can start and tell our listeners about.
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh, Thanks for having me, Jeff. I'm glad to be here. Um, My grandparents, uh, Gilbert and Lila Silverman, uh, are known as the foremost Fluxus collectors in the country. Uh, this started in the 70s, well before uh, I was on this planet. Yeah. Um, and growing up around the things they collected was, and still is, hugely influential to my love of art and my love of artists and my interest in a collector's desire to have and to want and to hold and to live with. And so Fluxus uh, kind of originates between Dada and surrealism. Uh And it's, I would say Yoko Ono is maybe one of the most famous Fluxus artists, Mm. Um, but it really happened uh, between Germany and Asia. Uh, There is a kind of absurdist quality around Fluxus. There's a a lot of performance and happenings um, around Fluxus. It was intended initially by a founder called George Machunis to... um, Kind of be for the masses. So artists would make things in multiples mm-hmm. um, and with materials that were fairly readily found and available and sort of low cost, mm-hmm. um, which ties into the performative or happening aspect of Fluxus. Um, <clears throat> my gallery doesn't show Fluxus artists, uh, but I find the kind of energy around Fluxus as a genre to be. Um, uh, always intriguing and thought-provoking as a model.
0: Uh And it's it's experimental, radical, edgy art, and like you said, uh, 70s, 60s, 70s. Correct,
1: yeah, I mean, it's kind of started, I'd say probably late 60s, and actually my grandfather preferred Dada, to be Uh honest at first, Uh but it was already too expensive. And so he, uh, being a kind of businessman, Um, sought Fluxus which at that time was very inexpensive made in multiples and what he started to do was buy like let's say an artist made um, a multiple of 10 he would buy Buy all 10 10, exactly
0: (laughs) which wasn't it
1: it was not so great the artists weren't so thrilled about it at the time um, because you know they were making it to be disseminated Mm -hmm. um, kind of more freely and openly yeah um, but what it did for history is to collect much of Fluxus into a single space, which has proved to be really um, integral to how this material lives on in museums.
0: Right. For instance. And so when you spent time you around know, that, um, that collection, mm-hmm. you know, paint a picture here. Is this in his house? Is it in a separate studio that he kept it all in? Like where is uh, young Jessica Silverman? <laughs> You know, you know, wandering around, (laughs) looking at this work.
1: Um, so I grew up in Michigan, uh, Uh in uh, Bloomfield Hills, like 30 minutes outside of Detroit. And my grandparents had a really cool modernist home. Okay, Um, so it wasn't his home. It was in his home initially Uh until it got too large. And he also, you know, was like a collector, collector. So they also collected lots of different things that fell outside of the purview of Fluxus. Mm -hmm. Um, but I remember very clearly, like. I could draw a kind of map of their home. And I remember there was this kind of sunken in living room and he had this piece by an artist from Japan called AO. It was a, a Y hyphen O and he did what were called flux boxes. And Uh so they were wooden boxes with holes in the top. And my sister brother and I would stick our fingers (laughs) into the holes. That was the intention. They were supposed to be like prodded. Right. Um, And any inside each one had a different kind of feeling so I love the like tactility of that. Um, so there were marbles inside of one. Uh There was foam inside of one. One actually was taped over because there was a little needle inside and he didn't want us to prick ourselves.
0: Really cool.
1: Yeah. So it was, it was very fun. And eventually the collection grew and the curator who worked with them, John Hendricks, who still works very closely with Yoko Ono in New York. Um, you know encourage them to uh buy a building which given they were in real estate was like, yes. okay sure yeah <laughs> and so they bought this great building the parker <laughs> webb building <clears throat> in downtown detroit um mm. where the collection then lived for most of my adult life mm. um and they still own the building although the collection has been donated uh mostly to moma new york the israel museum and mm. the detroit institute of arts mm-hmm. um and Yeah, there's still uh, other parts of the collection that uh, my uh, family's dealing with, um, but the main bulk of Fluxus is now in museums.
0: So I researched Fluxus a little bit, but not Dada. Do you wanna just uh, explain Dada?
1: I mean, Dada was kind of similar in a way. There was like an absurdist quality to uh, Dada like there was to Fluxus, a sense of humor, but... um, uh, different typography, different group of artists, kind of earlier it happened Um, pre-Fluxus. I think I would say that Dada is more visually appealing. Fluxus wasn't really that concerned with the visual kind of outcome of things necessarily. There was like a packaging to everything that was Fluxus in terms of like the fonts and the text. Um, But Dada, I think inherently was a more visual genre. Mm
0: -hmm. And so most of it's all uh, of the of the Fluxus. I'm just trying because I yeah. I Googled it. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm really into this <coughs> thing, this Google thing. Mm. Uh, but it was a lot of photographs, probably of the objects. Well, it seemed to be mm. like of maybe artists, perhaps even making them. But there's no photographs in the collection of Fluxus. It's really just all objects and collage and objects a, uh, interactive ephemera.
1: Interactive uh, ephemera, so oh. the things that come out of a performance. So, wow. um, you know, uh, a sweater that was worn during a performance, a chair that was worn uh, sat cool. on, um, the, the instructions for the performance. Um, that would be very typically part of the kind of fluxus.
0: And then, so your first gallery um, was in two thousand three mm-hmm. in Los Angeles no
1: san francisco
0: in san francisco
1: yeah i mean maybe what you're referring to is um two, well in 2003 i was in undergrad Uh-huh. and i opened i just turned my studio into a gallery yeah. in undergrad yeah. but it was called studio 228 and that was just the studio i was given yeah. um, by otis college um but it was my first kind of foray into uh-huh. Um, my interest in curating and working with other artists rather than kind of focusing on myself being an artist.
0: Mm -hmm. When I looked at uh, flipping through kind of images of your gallery, Mm -hmm. when did you open that gallery? And it's in the tenderloin, so you made a conscious decision to be in the tenderloin. Yeah. Talk to me about that.
1: (laughs) Um, Well, so my first uh, physical space in San Francisco was in the dog patch, and that was like in two thousand. Six just before I graduated from uh, grad school at CCA. Yeah. Um, then I was at Sutter Street and Jones <clears throat> from 2008 to 2013. And the gallery is now in the Tenderloin, um, which actually is not very far from Sutter and Jones, mm-hmm. which. Uh, it's on Ellis now? It's on Ellis and Leavenworth. Yeah. Um, but people called um, Sutter and Jones the Tender Knob. Yeah. Which I always hated. My
0: first uh, flat was <coughs> Bush and. <clears throat> Yeah. Um, Mason. Yeah. yeah. It, was, it was knobby. Not yeah. really. It was yeah. pretty n- knob. <clears throat> no. It wasn't like...
1: If that doesn't sound too tender. No. Yeah. So um, I I don't know that I consciously said like, oh, I want to be in the tender line. But mm. um, actually, when I, the, the space I'm in first came across uh, my plate, uh, an assistant at the time, um, I was out of town and I asked him to walk down and just scope out the corner and he texted me and he was like, there's no way you want to be here. Yeah. And so I kind of didn't really think of it um, until a month later uh, when I had still been looking and couldn't find anything that was like ground floor that um, I liked a lot. And so I went back to the broker and I said like, hey, could I go inside? And I was totally blown away. It's just Absolutely instinctual. I loved the space. I loved the high ceilings. Um, I liked the energy on the corner. I, you know, I kind of can't really explain it other than growing up outside of Detroit and spending a lot of time in Detroit. Um, I, I liked the complexity of the neighborhood. I liked the potential of the neighborhood. Um, I felt like I could do something really meaningful there and I have quickly become involved in uh, things like the Tenderloin Museum, which I'm on the board of, which is a block away. Um, I'm in very close dialogue with a lot of new things that are popping up in the tenderloin Mm -hmm. and
0: do tell me because I'm very fascinated. (laughs) Yeah. Uh,
1: well the building across the street for me is about to go under like huge, um, earthquake retrofitting and Mm -hmm. he's looking at new restaurants to go in, um, on Ellis and Leavenworth. Um, the, uh, black cat opened on Leavenworth and Eddie, a block below me, which is a great restaurant. Uh, there's a Japanese kind of Spa called Onsen O N S E N, which just opened on Eddie. Um, <clears throat> I just found out the other day that a gallery called Modernism is opening on Ellis Street. I'm in the 400 block, and they're opening in the 700 block, closer to Van Ness. Uh huh. Um, I mean, there's like so many cool things that are I going that to area. sprout up over there. Um, it's really, really quite exciting.
0: I can um, remember walking through, uh, when I first moved here, I had to find some sort of storage facility. So yeah. I you know, found it in the, and I found the address and I was just walking on these beautiful flat blocks. For some reason, I didn't really take on the, um, the drama of the Tenderloin yet. Like I didn't see some of the, the you know, maybe historic problems with homelessness. Yeah. Um, Et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, but I just remember taken by the area. And it was yeah. flat. And it was beautiful. The buildings are all gorgeous. The
1: buildings are amazing. Like, it's it's like really gorgeous. the <clears throat>
0: most smoking area of the city. Yeah. I was just at Paris Design Week oh, last wow. week. And just walking around like flat, of course, because yeah. of Paris. It's gorgeous everywhere you are. I came to dinner with like three other designers that were, we were all, you know, kind of traveling together. Um, and I was like, we have... Do something about getting the Tenderloin back.
1: Yeah, it's <laughs> like totally. I just like
0: had this reaction and, uh, and it's, reinvigorated it's, every. T-
1: it's so gonna often. happen. I mean, there's also a woman called Joy O who um, has a architecture and design firm called Group I. She does a lot of real estate around the city, and she's taken on uh, a corner that's kind of like. Um, market it kind of backs up market into golden gate it's a massive plot of land um and she's doing like condos hotel um street front retail um and within that because it's such a large project there'll be like an arts budget and she's trying to do things around the tenderloin so it's only a matter of time um you know i spend a lot of time down there and it's um Uh, we can't all just kind of come in and expect, like, everyone to just disappear. There has to be a lot of patience um, and understanding for this, like, very long history um, of these low-income housing units and the people that are there and the services that are really needed there. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, play both cards.
0: Right. Yeah. Um, And so another note about your gallery, Um, you're known for just... Discovering emerging mm-hmm. artists mm-hmm. in California and bringing them to the an international audience, but also introducing foreign artists to San Francisco uh, the whole area yeah. so uh, on the the latter part of that, you know where are the foreign artists from where do you where are you fascinated um,
1: if there's any region yeah um, so Just to caveat the idea of emergence. um, Uh, My uh, definition of it is fairly expansive and mm -hmm. so um, I'm really interested in working with artists that are young and uh, more established or more, uh, let's say mid-career, 60s, Mm. 70s, um, and bringing them to uh, an international audience. So in 2013, when I reopened the gallery, we did a show with a guy called Amikam Torin. He's an Israeli artist uh, based in London. Um, A kind of artist who a a lot of other younger artists have really looked at and followed and uh, been interested in for many years. Um, So I have, let's see, three artists based in London, uh, two artists in Berlin. Um, I'd love to have even more international artists. I think that one of the things that stops me a little bit oh actually i have four artists in london yeah four artists um is uh shipping is you know astronomical from those far off places um so because there's like artists i love in asia that i'd love to work with and we're slowly trying to figure out ways to do that um but you know those are my restrictions um at the moment but i have spent a lot of time in London, so in Berlin. So those are the places where um, foreign artists at the moment are based.
0: Mm-hmm. And how much do you intertwine uh, the work you show and the work you promote with you know you know residential interiors? Or, and how do you see those combining? How do you evaluate some of that?
1: Um, I mean, in terms of like uh, my clients, I guess.
0: I, I, I don't know. I. Yeah. Uh, um, You know, for me, when I'm looking at artwork for, Mm. you know, for a space, a living room, a dining room, there's, there's color, there's size, there's Mm. scale, and there's really this strong content. Yeah. And if it's abstract or if it's, uh, if it has, you know.
1: Figuration.
0: Yeah. But it says something.
1: Uh Uh-huh.
0: You know, and, and that, me, that, that goes into the pot of the whole conversation. That's happening in the room with all the furniture shapes, you know, their era, yeah th- their color, everything, yeah, and so you know do you think um you know much about where it might end up later, you know how much do you mm. consider artwork with within its final environment, or perhaps you're you're kind of thinking it more in in just a gallery uh, space in someone's home yeah a probably, grand foyer.
1: I live with art um but i you know I do have some clients who um don't really like to store things so once all their walls are filled we come up to this like you know well what do they do you know they're uh, do they build a new house do they take my advice and get some storage and rotate things Um, I tend not to think too much about where it's gonna go after Mm -hmm. the show I usually I'm I labor over exhibitions, especially when they're kind of curated group shows with a few different people. Um, And I'm very conscious about not being overly commercial, but obviously I do have to um, think about showing things that I feel like could live on beyond my white walls. Um, So It's really about doing a great exhibition, presenting an artist's work in a way that they and myself would feel proud of, um, and then communicating the importance of that work to the client in hopes that they could see how they could live with that work in their domestic space as well Mm -hmm. afterwards. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. No, I'm
0: <laughs> this is a topic that I yeah. I don't know that I can fully put voice or yeah. words to. Uh, yeah. but you know the I have a client who down in Hillsborough, you know, she is this gorgeous painting. It's yeah. uh, it's got a Iraqi, you know, soldier, yeah. it's got a Muppet, yeah. it's got a woman, you know, just dis- wow. you this know, broke don't know yeah. they a great question i should know uh, the answer to that but she kind of um it, i'm so visual yeah. so i'm not going to unfortunately be able to retain yeah. all these like names of, yeah. of everything that runs across my phone really cause yeah. they, my clients will sometimes text me yeah. well, what do you think of this one yeah and then you know my first my first response is you know it's got to be the right scale for wherever you want to put it because yeah it, i can't have it dotted it yeah. can't just be brilliant and be under scale it yeah just look for the just space ridiculous yeah and then, and then I'm like, oh, my God, that is so hot. That's mad cool. Yeah. You know, that, that content. Yeah. And that's what I kind of evaluating. She then got um, a, a little bit afraid of what people might see when, she, when they came over. Uh-huh. In, in specifics, um, I think she was afraid someone was in the military, and then she thought maybe that was a little too edgy. Uh-huh. And she's actually way um, artistic. Yeah. So she, she wouldn't, it wouldn't be typical uh, yeah. for my understanding of her personality. And, yeah. but at some points, you know, content is too much or something's too strong. Where do you fall in that when you're like, Oh, that's, is anything too strong for you?
1: Yeah, definitely. <coughs> I mean, um, uh, I could go on record and say that I have no male genitalia in my home. <laughs> <laughs> and that is a rule I follow uh-huh. uh, for myself. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I actually am quite fond of difficult content, um, but I'm also very aesthetic. And so, you know, I'm trying to think of like a good, um, somewhere in between. Well, someone like Andrea Bowers, who's an LA based artist deals with a lot of, uh, political content. Um, she actually works with a lot of protesters um as her research um and <clears throat> i think that sometimes her work can be kind of politically um engaging but i love the way she deals with it visually um so she did a, a neon light piece uh that was called community or chaos um which I thought was like a really kind of potent statement. Um, she did another piece about uh, uh, like Planned Parenthood recently. She's done a piece about, uh, I mean, so I, I am more and more, especially in this day and age, uh, try to be content driven. Mm.
0: Did you see that sculpture? I think it was almost a statue that was in during the election cycle emperor the emperor has no clothes it was donald trump naked but he was really obese and it was in the Tenderloin, not tenderloin sorry the oh, castro
1: really? was in i the may castro. have thankfully missed it i'm <laughs> i don't oh, yeah. know was it was well, it good was it weird
0: i don't know i i it was up to a little bit and i think you know there was some chatter about his body shaming and mm. so people were standing up for like you're just kind of shaming him because of he's in this case it was like the artist made him very obese. Right. And he had no clothes on. There was lots of rolls in his stomach and mm. everything was just and it like very small genitalia yeah. actually.
1: <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yes. Hysterical. But so uh,
0: I mean I think a lot of people probably enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, and but I remember one friend kind of commented because it, it was all over my Facebook pages. Mm. And someone was like, "You yeah, know, is that really right? Because it's body <laughs> shaming. I don't know. Ugh. I just wondered if you, you would have an opinion if you had seen that. You can Google it.
1: Yeah, I will Google it. I don't <laughs> know that I would have... S- yeah, I probably wouldn't have liked it. I could probably be certain of that. I don't know that I would have loved it as a public art sculpture. It's not permanent, is it? Mm-mm. Okay, yeah. that's good. Yeah, no. I had heard about it, but I haven't... I'm not on Facebook, and um, so I miss a lot of things.
0: And so you also curate Fused, which is a gallery hosted by Yves Behar.
1: Yeah, yeah. um,
0: It's in
1: his design studio. Oh, right on. (laughs) It's just like around the corner from here. Yeah. Um, He's always been like a very big supporter of me and my program. Um, His wife, Sabrina Buell Mm. is a wonderful art advisor, also a good friend. And um, when he was moving into that building, I was still in my very small gallery space. And so he thought, maybe I'd like a bigger space to curate. Um, So that's, it's now been about three years. We've done some really great shows there. Um, We have one opening tonight from six to eight uh, with a young guy called Ben Quinn. And the shows really, um, I try to run everything by Eve, um, but the shows really are my, uh, curatorial, uh, premise. Um, the shows typically are up for longer than the shows at the gallery. Um, and it is a space that everyone who walks into his building goes through because it's kind of the front area of the building Mm -hmm. Um, and it's been a really fun project to be able to spearhead I think he really likes it Um, sometimes I'll get really busy and I won't do a show as quickly as um, maybe he might like and uh, he always says he misses the shows he likes having things on the wall there which is great and it's great to have someone uh, be that supportive of your vision totally it's been wonderfully beneficial and I'm a big fan of everything he does and, and Fuse Project in general. He's a, he's a
0: master artist uh, he really in his is. own right.
1: <laughs> he is. He is uh, quite brilliant.
0: Colorful or monochromatic? What's your personal favorite?
1: Um, oh, God, I go both ways. Um, <coughs> I'm a big Robert Ryman fan who um, famously painted like white monochromes. Um, there's something to me that's really generous about them, even in their presentation of absence. Um, at the same time, I really love color and, um, I don't think I really like fluorescence very much, but like neon colors. Um, but I actually do really like color.
0: When someone comes to you, and this, you know maybe you can say this in a, in an easy way, but there's there's kind of some typical questions that maybe get asked mm-hmm. you know um, i'm just thinking of one because I probably have asked this too many times mm-hmm. of, of galleries. you know uh, well, we were looking for something neutral mm-hmm. with pops of color right and and that must kind of when you hear the same. Ask multiple times, mm. kind of career long. Yeah, you might tire of that because it's no longer helping you push things forward. Right. Are there any other, you know, asks that might be typical that people will come and ask you as a? I've
1: gotten creator? like a few. Um, oh, they're having a baby. It's a girl. Like, do you have anything that's pink? Uh-huh. Um I'm not very good or patient with those kinds of things. So usually, yeah. some, someone on my team. Um, would spearhead, like, yeah. a presentation. Yeah. Um, you know, art for me is something that's felt. Um, you know, it's, it's a physical, um, emotional kind of reaction to uh, the visual and uh, the language around it. And so um, I can tend to have a hard time with like, which I think really relates to how I've identified my whole life, like fitting in boxes. Mm -hmm. Um, I've, you know, never been good at that and I've always been kind of okay with not, or being a little bit on the outside. I mean, having the gallery and the Tenderloin, all these things that I do, I think speak to my desire to kind of um, march the beat of my own drum and um, stay true to the things I love and care about, mm-hmm. um, no matter what. But uh, we love working with designers. Um, and, like, you know, Nicole Hollis just installed a few uh, pieces from our inventory. Um, you know, Charles DeLisle's a very close friend. Stephen Volpe. I mean, the city is kind of... We're very fortunate to have such great designers here, you know, like yourself. And um, it's a fun challenge for me um, to be able to work with designers um, on projects.
0: Yeah, much different than a collector <coughs> coming through.
1: Correct, sure. yeah, yeah. I mean, because sometimes <coughs> you don't ever meet the person whose home it's going in with a designer. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of fun.
0: How much do you see, um, that's a challenge actually, mm. setting up the, you know, finishing off a project, Gosh, in my world, the art, yeah. in our interiors, the art is so important. Yeah, totally. It's it's like, at times, we were just chatting about content, but at yeah. times, at least, for everything that's going on, one piece might be a third of the moment. Yeah, yeah. And the whole Project, room, yeah. You know? Yeah. And there's like a hundred decisions, and that that's... Yeah. Only one is a third of the power. Yeah. I don't know, I'm just putting a percentage on That's it,
1: great. But,
0: but um, you know, it's, it's challenging to try to... Uh, like they must fall in love with it, so I'm I'm more apt to kind of cue people up, get yes. them in front of gallery galleries, and um, hopefully they'll you know give me the chance to comment on the two or three that they fell in love with. Totally, and that's like that's my best I that I've come up with so far. Yes. Do you have any suggestions for other designers and other you know people on how to 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 work with that end with of the D. project more? Yeah.
1: Um. I think it is helpful. We've done a few different things. Um, We've sent um, artworks on approval. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, we're really happy to do that. And I think it works really well, especially if the designer has the client in the home, in the space for like a finite moment in time to Mm -hmm. kind of stage things. Mm -hmm. Um, When you're making so many decisions to see the thing in the physical space, I think can be extremely helpful. Um, And I actually really love, recently, um, a designer sent me like a a hallway image. Um, So as many visuals as we have, the better we can kind of like try to make a good match Mm -hmm. for the space and the work.
0: I've dreamt of this or I probably yeah. have deployed it maybe a couple of times where the art actually started. There was already an art piece. Oh yeah. yeah. And then you kind of well yeah
1: work several times and, and you, you kinda of
0: work around in tiers. Mm. That actually might be easier. Yes. But it always art comes at the end. Yes. I mean that always is you know, eighty percent, ninety percent of the time.
1: Yeah, that's might, interesting. I mean, I I I'm sure you're probably right, unless you're working with someone who's already collecting. And then they already have a lot of art. Yeah. And then it's about, like, rehanging.
0: Yeah, yeah, redistributing it around. Redistributing
1: it. So, um, I mean, I uh, don't expect always when I work with a designer or a new couple who's buying art for their home um, to become collectors. But I also think that the kind of um, definition of a collector is – is it's and pretty, can be pretty broad. Yeah, I was going to say, it must be broad. And, means, you know, some yeah, too, people I know buy one piece a year and they're really happy doing that and their budget is, you know, five to $10,000 and they love the experience and, you know, they buy it together as a couple or yeah, yeah. he buys it for her. Yeah. You know, I think um, art is an increasingly, and I think as our, uh, political landscape changes will continue to be um, uh, a place of, um, uh, yeah, a really important place uh, for people to go to think, um, to find peace, you know, to uh, discover. Um, those are all things that I think. And that's are beautifully important.
0: said. Thanks. I'd like to back up. To the part where you were talking about not wanting to be in a box mm. or like kind of that's yeah. the the drumbeat you've always you know <laughs> been interested in, yeah how why you know where did you get there? what why do you think that is? Do you ever kind of think about that?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, I am the oldest in my family of three children. Um, I came out when I was quite young. I was like thirteen. 12 or 13, I grew up in rural, kind of suburban Michigan, Mm -hmm. Um, and I was, you know, there was no reason for my parents to treat me differently, and they never did, and so I went to the same schools as my siblings, and, you know, was given the same love and affection and things and everything, Um, uh, but I was always just very into pushing the envelope um you know to having one more ear piercing than everyone else had or Uh. you know having uh my hair dyed when no one else did you know whatever it was i was kind of interested in reaction i think um Uh. and unless like of an instigator now, but I'm really drawn to artists who are instigators Mm -hmm. Um, and artists who are um, extreme thinkers um, and unafraid. Um, So we just started working with Judy Chicago, who is a very famous feminist artist, most famous for an installation at the Brooklyn museum called the dinner party. Um, And she is like a troublemaker and I love it. Um, you know, that is, you know, that is the role she sees herself in. I mean, she also makes beautiful, intelligent, important work, but she is not going to not push the boundaries. Um, and I think again, you know, more than ever, we probably need a little bit of that. Um, and so, yeah, maybe, uh, maybe that answers yeah, that's, your question. You know, I, um,
0: <laughs> I hadn't thought about yeah. it
1: too much, but. Yeah, no, that's, yeah. that's great. Yeah. And
0: when you evaluate the, even the Bay Area, mm. <clears throat> there's different regions here in the Bay Area. There's Silicon Valley, sure. there's Oakland. Do you think there's a different art scene in each of those? And does your work kind of have to mirror any of that?
1: Um... Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there is definitely. Um, I try not to, like, I think some people's instincts, like, there was this Silicon Valley art fair and they had, like, a lot of digital art and drones. Did you go to that? I didn't go. Okay. Okay, Beth, I know where Uh, you're going with this. (laughs) But I um, think. You know from the outside, some people's instincts would be that Silicon Valley wants digital art. Mm-hmm. Um, my partner's actually a sociologist and uh, writes about the art world um, and is really That's helpful yeah yeah and um, <laughs> you know she has talked to a lot of uh people in technology um, also who have collected. And uh, one thing that she has kind of repeated back to me, which I think is probably true, is that um, although one instincts would be that, you know, uh, the founders of Google and Instagram, uh, you know, because they created digital programs, they want to live with, like, digital objects. Um, but actually, it's kind of the opposite. Right. They want to recognize their physical selves through objects and so they're much more interested in uh sculpture um and things that kind of remind them of their physical selves Mm. um so i guess what i'm trying to say is i i don't really know how to cater to a specific group of collectors i just try to do what i do best thing yeah 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 Yeah, exactly
0: um as a gallery owner, you may go to grad fairs and, mm. and um, open, you know, open studios, studios, things like sure. that. Where is the strangest place that mm. you might have, you know, serendipitously discovered an artist?
1: Um, there was this art fair last year in New York, and I'll go there again. I think it's called Spring Break. Yeah, I think. Um, and it's uh, an art fair where they invite curators, independent curators, to curate little rooms. And this place was in a crazy building, and it was like a mob scene. But it was just really cool because all the artists were quite young, mm-hmm. many I had never heard of before, and I hadn't really heard of the curators, and I just found it to be like a really interesting platform. I wasn't so prepared to like find something new last year, but I intend to go this year and really kind of focus and bring a notepad.
0: How many artists are typically at these fairs?
1: This was like massive. This like, was like three or four floors of rooms of curated shows.
0: 400,
1: 300? Oh, yeah. 400, yeah, easily.
0: Like I was walking through the Paris flea market? <laughs> yes. And I can go through a marketplace yeah. and that was faster than anybody. When you're really looking. identifying like, what you're looking for, I'm yeah. looking for accent chairs and
1: yeah. you know,
0: these things. Yeah. Do you do that same thing? Oh, you yeah. can't do it all.
1: No, yeah, I scan. Yeah. I (laughs) scan. You know, and it's also great because collectors look at things differently. And so I often say like, well, what did you see? And they'll have seen something I didn't see. Right. So, you know, it's really good to talk with people who go to the, you know, have the same experiences, but see different things. So I'm always collecting information.
0: Um, What would you do, you think, if you didn't do this?
1: Have a restaurant, probably. Really? I like to cook. I think everybody
0: has a, like, uh, a great answer off that quickly, but you do.
1: Probably. I mean, I like. obviously there's a relationship maybe. They're both social spaces. Um,
0: and it would be beautiful.
1: Mm. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it <laughs> yeah. would be beautiful. It mm. would be
1: fun. Yeah, I mean, yeah. who knows? Maybe one day Hauser and Wirth in LA has a restaurant in their gallery. Their yeah. gallery is kind of like a museum, but um, you never know. That's cool. You know, I have a salad named after myself you at do. Jane Cafe.
0: Oh. oh, which one? The one in the. I think on they're Polk? on
1: both. I think they're on Larkin the and the Fillmore oh. one as well.
0: What so, is it called? It's the Sil- Jessica
1: Silverman it's... salad.
0: <laughs> wow. I recommend like, it. <laughs> I can't wait to have it. Is it kale? Is it.
1: <laughs> um, there are dates in it and uh, arugula. Ah, uh,
0: no, the walnuts. Oh. You'll have to find uh. out. casting (sighs) that's like you've made it when you're a salad
1: my family felt that that was the The, best the coolest thing a silverman has ever done
0: ever (laughs) um and then i guess my last question is um, what's your favorite room in your house or your your home Mm. your residence and why
1: uh that's a good question so um it's actually a specific chair I really like. Um we have these Milo Baufman uh chairs from the seventies mm-hmm. with the kind of their swivel and they're mirrored around the back and they're the ones we have are kind of black mohair. Uh-huh. <clears throat> and we're on California and Jones. Mm-hmm. Um and I yeah, John, yeah. can sit in this one chair at night and look out through down California Street at Leo Villareal's uh Bay Lights, just uh-huh. like through yeah. the building straight down California Street. Yeah. And um I love doing that. I love sitting there and having my coffee, but I particularly love sitting there at night and seeing uh, the bay lights. That's delicious. Yeah, it's pretty great. So that would probably be my favorite spot. Paint
0: the picture. They're doing a new art installation yes. on Market.
1: Yeah, he, it's actually, um, I think it's part of the Moscone Bridge that Leo's doing. Is uh-huh. that what you're talking about?
0: Um, no, I thought that they were doing some sort of lights along, oh. like all the way from the Embarcadero to Van Ness.
1: He very well could be. Yeah, He's a busy been. guy.
0: Yeah. That can be folklore.
1: Yes, exactly.
0: We'll find out in like 1.5 years.
1: Yes, exactly. I mean, thank
0: you so much for sitting down thank with us. Thank
1: you, Jack. What
0: amazing artistry you have to share. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's
1: yeah. a pleasure. Okay.